Hello, my friends. Welcome back to the Naked Leadership Podcast. My name is Chad. This is the third installment of our three-part series around conflict resolution. Of course, part one is all about how to set up the conflicted conversation. And part two is all about how to operate in the conversation to get the best results, a win-win for both. And lastly, this third part is all about how do we set up the relationship going forward? What are we committed to now and how are we going to continue to communicate about this conflict? I hope you get a lot out of it. We've enjoyed doing this series. It's been a great time. Let's get into it. What's up, gentlemen? Hey, hey, good to be here. How are you? I'm good in COVID country. Good in COVID country. Good in COVID country. Got a got a uh, six year old and almost four year old running around downstairs. We might be here a knock at the door from time to time, um, but uh, you know we're making it happen. That's all we're. I think that's that's what all of us are doing. Yeah. yeah. What <laughs> else? Out how to make it. This is it. This is it. Welcome to real life. I know. This is it. I'm satisfied. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So what now? Well, welcome back to uh, welcome back to the Naked Leadership Podcast. If you're watching this live, welcome. You can uh, join us in the conversation by commenting, and we can actually pull your comment in and discuss it if it's on topic and uh, valuable to the conversation. So we encourage you to do that if you're here. And uh, if you're listening to this on the podcast, you know this is part three. Part three. We're going to bring it all together here of our Resolving Conflict series. So we've done three. This will be our third installment of uh, the process of resolving conflict. Um, And, you know, last uh, part two was dedicated to current reality. So getting really connected to what the issue is, clarifying the issue, um, understanding current reality, like where do we sit now with it? What are my feelings around it? What, how is it impacting me or, or you? Um, and then owning our personal contribution to the breakdown. So that all happened in episode or, or part two. If you didn't listen to that yet, I encourage you to go back and listen to part two before you continue on with part three, because part three, we're going to talk about looking forward, meaning What is the future that we are committed to around this breakdown or this conflict? How are we going to operate with each other going forward? How are we going to communicate? What's the language we're going to use? Um, What are we committed to? How, you know, all that kind of really cool stuff. It's a future oriented conversation. We're now committed uh, to each other. We're connected to current reality. Now let's, now let's look forward. How does that sound? Sounds good to me. (laughs) Sounds like what we need. (laughs) <laughs> and you know, in a way, I'd like to. Can I? I just like to adjust the language just a little bit. Yes, right? please. Instead of looking forward, how about we put ourselves in the future and look back to now, and see, like, use our imagination in that way, and see what now calls for from that future. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Because you know, there's a neuroscientific principle here. And most people aren't, I don't know if they're aware of it, but future conversation determines present state. So in other words, 
the future I think is coming, the future I in you know I really buy into. I've bought all the way and you could say believe, but I just I get committed to. Yeah. Determines how I am now. And I use this example in trainings at times that you know, if Adrian thinks he's gonna double his income this year, really gets it, sees it, feels it, has promises, etc. And I think I'm gonna lose half of my income this year. How I am in this moment is very different than how Adrian shows up in the moment. And we can discuss that, right? But <clears throat> so if I could get myself in the future, particularly the future I might even be worrying about because I believe that's the one that's going to be most true, I can then look back and see what other possibilities could be as true or even truer than what I've already made up about what future's coming. Right. And that opens up possibility that I normally wouldn't consider. Yeah. Well, and even to connect some of these episodes, a lot of times, um, maybe all the time, I'm not sure, but at least a lot of the times when I'm the severity of the conflict I'm in right now is actually based on the significance that I assign to the conflict. And that is almost always connected to the future that I think this conflict has. That's a lot of language. What I mean is like, I'll, I'll talk about it from my own life. If I'll use a personal example. If Allie and I are in a conflict and I'm all of a sudden thinking she's always this way, she's always going to be this way all of a sudden, I'm really, you know, offended now. Not that this just happened 12 hours ago. But now I'm a, like, like now, like this moment is all of a sudden severe and huge and significant because it's always going to be this way. And that's the principle here is like when I'm, what future I think is coming is now. And, and, alternatively, I could think about, okay, even just, I just sent her a text right as we were waiting to come on because uh, she's down taking care of the kids right now. And I just said, this is beautiful training for a great life together, right? So I'm contextualizing her moment that she's managing a six-year-old and a four-year-old and technology and all this stuff. I'm, I'm inviting her to look at this moment through that, like the future that's coming if we, if we train really well. Yeah, and... Point. And we get these conversations about the future gated into our brains, like like we they're protected. And I don't, I'm not even aware that I've got it. I, this is how I believe it's going to be. And if anybody, like if you offered that to me and I was already in, no, no, this is not going to be like that. Then I couldn't receive that. I couldn't learn from that. I couldn't explore it. I'd be more about proving you wrong. And then we get positioned, unless of course you may you may not get positioned, but the chances of getting positioned increase the more I dogmatically and probably unconsciously reinforce the future. I'm afraid's coming, hmm. you know, I, you know, that, I, and I could so relate with, after, you know, 45 years together with my <laughs> wife. I can, <laughs> yeah. 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 In some kind I, of relationship with that. Burned into my body. I can show you the scars. I can <laughs> Tell us more, Dan. Tell us more of your sob story. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Come on, I gotta win you over somehow. <laughs> well, I think that leads perfectly into getting an idea of like, um, what are the future implications if we don't figure out how to relate to each other in this conflict? Where is this going? If I stay positioned, if you stay positioned. What, what's possible? What, what, where are we headed? What's the value in having that kind of conversation with the person you're in conflict with? Cause like the language that connects for me 
Adrian, you use this a lot is like, Hey, this isn't really working. Is it? Yeah. And that's really a statement of like, I don't like where we're going. Do you? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, what's the value of getting yeah. and playing that out and seeing like, Hey, where's this going? What are we, what are we creating? Yeah. Well, well you, go ahead. Adrian. Oh, I was just thinking about, I was just thinking about like uh, conflict on a team. Um, I was thinking about a coaching call I had uh, last week with a client and I'm talking to him today and he's got some, he and the team always uh, historically get elevated, really get elevated. And then it gets condescending. And he, he, he already plays all that out and says, I hate working here. But what he really means by I hate working here is if this continues, I'm going to continue to hate it in the future as much as I hate now. Mm. So, cause you know, cause he's, I mean, we, we think we usually think we're thinking about something in this moment, but we're usually projecting this moment into the future. And if, if he were to, if, if either party were to slow down and say, Hey, this isn't very fun. <laughs> the way like this meeting happens like this every time. And I, and I, I don't like this. Do you, it would all of a sudden these bifurcated parties, if there's just two, trying to figure where the screen is here, these bifurcated parties all of a sudden would have something in common. We both hate what's happening. And all of a sudden that commonality is a connecting point. Like I always think about this in interpersonal context, but interpersonal in the personal world and in the professional world. Like if, if I'm disconnected with somebody, a teammate, a partner, a, a boss, an employee, if I'm disconnected and they're disconnected, no matter how disconnected we are, what we share, if we want to, is the disconnection. We actually are both having that same experience. And that is a beautiful place to start. And yeah. there is a future happening in that. And usually the brain, when left to the human drift, is blaming somebody else, shaming myself, or you know, complaining about something else. And if I can connect, if I can like, uh, you know, be transparent about my experience with the other person that I think is actually probably or might think they are the source of it. But just say, hey, I don't like how this is going. Can we talk about how we even how we do meetings? Most people don't disrupt the momentum of despair <laughs> that's happening enough to just connect with it, because if you connect with it, then you can actually reinvent something. Yeah, you know, it. it um part of what I hear you saying, it seems like you're saying is it really isn't the conclusion that is the issue. It's the way we are engaged in the conversation about the different conclusions we're drawing. And that if we can, if we can generate a conversation that can consider what the different views are, that are the different, if you will, if you think about it, the different branches of thought that are operating. Like, you know, when something comes up, there's only so many different branches of thought that one can take. And we often take ours and then we defend it rather than consider what other branches are available. And I know that I do that because I have a specific incentive in the conversation. There's something I want from the conversation and I'm, I'm, afraid I'm not going to get it. And I'm afraid what if, if I go down the tube, you go. Mm -hmm. And so I get dogmatic about my point rather than 
suspend my need to get you into my branch of thought and discover what your branch of thought is. Like, like what are you, I see we're upset. What? It, let me connect to what you're upset about and see if that's the same thing I'm upset about. Yeah. Right. I, I know my wife and I, we were on the verge of splitting up about 10 years ago and we were so disconnected and we sat down on the, on the porch and said, Hey, let's just learn how each other feel about this disconnection. And we started laughing within a half hour about we're finally connecting, but we were connecting as to your point, Adrian, in the disconnection. Yeah. You know, and it saved us. It was actually, we, you know, it, it brought us some peace, even though we weren't on the same page. Yeah. We were with each other. Yeah. And, and I, and I noticed all the different mechanisms I was wanting to use to move her to my embedded concern, what I wanted to have happen, my incentive for having the conversation. And as I let go of that incentive, I got connected to hers and she got connected to mine. And I could see how far apart we were and what kinds of future we could see what we had in common. It was really interesting. But it takes some real discipline internally, right, to catch those things. Yeah, I think, you know, we get so, we as we're talking about, we get so positioned. We get mm -hmm. so, and Dan, you talk about, um, we often think if we can put our position on hold and stand with the other in theirs, that we're losing ourselves. Like, to gain somebody else, we have to lose ourselves. Yeah, yeah. Or, and one way of saying that is to, there's kind of a paradox in here, Adrian and I have worked with quite a bit. I know you know about it. You know, we're either, there's like, the paradox is I'm certain or confident in what I believe, in my opinion. And the other side of the paradox is I'm open and reflective about what else, other people's perspectives. And I think where insecurity comes in, or let's say the lack of confidence in my own idea is revealed in my unwillingness to be open and reflective about somebody else's. Yeah. So I want to censor their idea. I don't want to hear it. Rather than which, and then I, and then that comes across like I'm, you know, I'm arrogant or I'm dogmatic about my idea. Like there's no other possible way. And versus listening to, and being open to, I can have my idea and still be open and reflective on what they're saying. I don't have to give up my idea. It doesn't mean I have to give it up, but I can suspend my need to attach to it and listen to what the other person has to say yeah. and, and follow some of their thinking. I, you know, if you, yeah. if you watch the internet, I don't know if you guys ever watched the intellectual dark web. That's kind of a joke, by the way. Uh, but guys like Jordan Peterson, Weinstein, and those guys, Sam Harris, and, uh, you know, Ali, Ayan Hersey, Ali, Ali, there's a lot of different thinkers. They're all very different, but they get along well. And they think differently and they argue with each other in a very the open way where they can yeah. they really search out each other's ideas. And I've seen a number of times where they go, God, I never thought about that. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I, I've seen I don't I've never I don't know even what the intellectual dark web is. That'll say something about me. But the um I have watched the debate between Peterson and Harris. And yeah. I love watching them just because they're so they can think about their ideas without you know being their ideas i would say yeah. it's like they're not precious you know they're, they're like like in some ways really beautifully detached like it's like 
you know, here's what I think. Yeah. And then you know. <laughs> and so, it eliminates all the invective. It eliminates all the ad hoc personal stuff and their respect one another. But what's really, they call it, they call it the intellectual dark web. It's kind of a joke. Yeah. Not because they're somewhere dark. It's because they are excluded from what Weinstein calls the gated institutional narrative. They're not included in the mainstream conversations because they want to question what nobody wants to question. Yeah. And so that they kind of, the joke is we're in the dark web because you know yeah. the mainstream media and all that don't talk about us. Yeah. In fact, when they do, they talk about us as either being controversial or frivolous. Yeah. Right. It's a way. And you think about it. Don't we do the same thing? If we don't agree with somebody, how often have you demeaned them in your own mind or publicly just to shut it down, just to shut even considering it down? It's, yeah. you know, they're 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 fringe or they're crazy or they're they haven't thought this out or, you know, whatever, you know, whatever the accusation is, this is conspiracy theory or you know whatever. Yeah. Yeah. I think this. Um, oh, go ahead, Adrian. I was just going to say. I mean, one of the things that I routinely don't think about, but I think is probably almost always true, is that, you know, uh, and, and connected probably back to the idea, to the conversation here is when I've got a judgment of anything, uh, you know, and we can talk about the media or whatever. Um, when I've got a judgment of whatever, uh, the, the something out there, myself, someone what else. Another, what one of our employees has, or, you know, what some a team member has. I mean, really, if you could just, these are just, we start the big principle, but it exists on teams, right? Yeah. And and a judgment is, is it's funny in a way, because I actually don't, usually, I don't think about the judgment, uh, you know, in a moment in time. I actually, when I have a judgment of a person, I'm just thinking about people that are on this and, and listening and wondering about how this works on their team. So these, so there is a future in our judgments is what the point I'm making is that like I say, Tom is like this. And what I really mean is Tom is always going to be like this. Mm -hmm. Tom is closed minded. Yeah. yeah. Tom is closed minded. And what I really mean and what I believe and actually how I act and how I think about Tom based on this assumption based on this assertion about who he is, because I got lots of evidence about why it's true historically. And I actually say Tom's like this. And then I mean, Tom's always like this. And so what I don't know is that invisibly, when I walk into a meeting with Tom, I'm there with the Tom that I know is going to be quote unquote, know is going to be there. So I come in already creating this future to this conversation, creating this future that I say I don't want. I wish Tom wasn't that way, but actually already hate future Tom as much as I hate Tom now. And then I am in the meeting with a guy I don't like, but I haven't even let Tom be here. <laughs> I've already committed to how Tom is. And you know, what, so happens when, what happens when Tom doesn't show up the way that you think he should? Dismiss it. Tom's up to something. What is yeah. he trying to do now? I know yeah. who Tom is. Tom's closed minded. He seems open right now. He must be up to something. He's, he's tricking what? me. What's who else is he talking to? Who else is he talking to in this room? Tom, you're not yourself. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Tom, quit. Listen, man. That's right. Yeah, we'll, yeah we'll, do that, we'll do that diagram in a training with like the box and all the X's. And if you have all these yeah. X's about how the way the world works or how Tom works, if an O shows up, we'll re we'll reject it or we'll turn it into an X. You know. Yeah, the worldview. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, we we prove our we prove our profile of Tom through everything, right? Yeah. Even if he steps outside of that, it somehow fits into the profile that we've that we fit around Tom. Yeah. Well, and what, what occurs to me too is if we if there isn't an understanding of how to map difficult conversations, how to ways to think, what are the principles that shut them down? Yeah. That cause them to be self fulfilling and and repeat repetitive, then people get real frustrated right? because <laughs> it's hard enough anyway. Yeah. Right? I mean, then it just breaks down into accusation and, and uh, back and forth and things get stuck and resistant. And the more and you get rid of one person, you bring another one and it seems to happen again. And you can't figure out why you can't find a good person to come to work without looking at, I wonder how I'm having the discussion that could be predisposing it into this condition. And normally what I'm doing is blaming the other person, the circumstance, the climate, the whatever. And until I start to look at how I'm actually in the conversation, it probably isn't going to go much different. It's like rearranging the deck furniture on the Titanic. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's this playing it out. You know, if this continues the way it, it, it currently is, um, is a powerful exercise. And what it leads us to is, okay, that this is going to bring us an outcome that we don't want. This is a future that we say we don't want. Now, the conversation has naturally evolved into, well, what is the future that yeah. we want? Yeah. Well, and just to maybe put a bow on that first, because it's a really important point. Yeah. I like to sit with, to sit to sit in this moment and talk about the default future that's coming. Um, part of why it's like that is because of that fixed mindset. Mm -hmm. So I am this way. You're this, you're a certain way. It is a certain way. And that's the way we believe about the parties involved and the situation involved. And there's an inevitability that comes with that thinking. The, you know, which is distinct from and, and what is needed. So, I want to just put a point on that. Like that's a certain type of thinking called fit, like a fixed mindset. Whoever, what, what's her name? Uh, um, Dweck, Carol Dweck. Dweck. Carol Dweck. Dweck, yeah. Dweck talked about fixed mindset or growth mindset. It requires a shift in that, that container, if you will, about how you see things. If you're in the container of things are fixed, can't be shifted, I'm always the same, you're always the same, it's always the same, then there really is very little possibility of a new future. There is maybe some better options, incremental shifts. You could fire somebody, you could change the org chart, you know, all the things that all of our clients naturally, well, all of us try to do to, to like move stuff around. And, but it, just to kind of reorganize the options available in a fixed mindset. And to get it back and, and the, the incentive is to try to get it back on track so we can produce the results we want and have it excellent again. Right. And yeah. so, but what's called for is paradoxical. It's what's called for, I think, in that situation often comes to me this way, is a war on that, on excellence. Like too much excellence becomes dogmatic. And what it does is it eliminates the potentiality that can come along if somebody's, somebody who's not, getting on board because they see something that could be very important 
but to look at it requires varying the conversation away from the incentivized outcomes. Like we want certain outcomes as a business owner, as a business leader, I'm afraid that if I get too caught up in some of these ideas, when things are stuck, I'm going to miss the opportunity or I'm going to not, whatever I want to have happen isn't going to happen. And so I, and I, and it comes up like, well, we just don't have time for this. Mm -hmm. And I always ask, well, how do you know that? I mean, how much time do you have to waste doing the same thing over and over again? If you can't really see the breakdown and if you're unwilling to admit that you're just rearranging the furniture in the Titanic, if you can't even just stop and look at that, how many more times do you have to repeat this in different circumstances with different people before you go, wow, maybe there's something else going on that I'm not paying attention to, right? And so the first thing is to unplug from the way it needs to look <laughs> to discover what I may or may not be seeing. And that's not, you know, that's a challenge. That takes some character and some understanding of how to do it. That's part of what our work is, right? Is to mm-hmm. kind of get familiar with the the dynamic of change so that you're not, I'm not in reaction to it. Yeah. Because to make the change often requires it to get worse before it gets better. And so, you know, it's like that. So, yeah. and, and if I'm not prepared for that, then I might think that the this is horrible when it's exactly what needs to happen to get to what's, you know, what I'm not seeing. To, yeah. to find the, those openings or possibilities or resources that have been lost or look like threats because they call me out of this routine and reducing everything to predictability. And, and so I can see how my outcome is going to get, how I'm going to get what I want. Yeah. I, I experienced that response from my clients in the coaching context all the time as, as we introduce a new practice of checking in, or having these kind of um, conversations about uh, deconstructing the breakdown, that kind of stuff. Uh, inevitably, the next response, the next comment is, "We don't have time for that." Or, or how am I going to? Sp- how this? How, this seems so inefficient. Am I going to do this every single time? And yeah. you know, <laughs> my question or my comment to them is like, and it's not exactly the same, but how do you find time to eat every day? Like, (laughs) where does that show up in your schedule? And if, if you don't, like, if that doesn't, if you don't make time for that in the schedule, what happens? You're depleted. You eventually you die. You're not, you're not doing, it doesn't look the way you want it to look because you're not doing the things that it takes to nourish yourself, your body and the process. This is exactly that. It's, it's taking the time to nourish your relationships, your people, uh, and and checking in with each other, knowing where each other is at. Yeah. You know, I had a client years ago, uh, Fortune, a pretty big client, and they own a lot of their, they, they own a lot of the market. They own like 25% of the market they're in. And they'd been there for about 75 years. And they were looking at, you know, at how they could become more efficient and and like that. And when we got in there, we talked about, well, you know, maybe there's value on the table and Maybe there's more of the market left. And they said, no, there's not. Right. But what happened was <laughs> the guy asked me to do a culture, you know, they paid us to do a, a culture map and, and like that. So we did. And I, I did a, an inter- interview with all the execs on this team and came back with this report and he was livid. He was really upset. And the HR 
VP called me and said, hey, you need to talk to our, you know, to Joe. Let's just call him Joe. And I said, yeah, okay, good. He's upset. He's really pissed off at you. He wants to know how the hell you came up with these, these conclusions from just five questions with these seven execs, which the conclusions were basically um, he doesn't listen. He dominates and people are afraid to tell him what's really going on. Right. And so <laughs> he gets on the phone and he says, <clears throat> I think we get introduced because, you know, I said, well, let me talk to him. I mean, he doesn't have to take the contract. Let me just, let's have a contract. Let's have a conversation. So at least he understands my thinking. And he said, okay, good, let's do it. So the C the senior VP of the HR and me and this this other senior VP are on the line and we're talking and he gets on the introduces the, the, the HR person introduces us and he says, I go, nice to meet you, Joe. And he goes, you may not think that at the end of this call. I said, well, I'll let you know, right? So <laughs> we get into the call and we start talking and he says, so I want to know how the hell you came up with this my people talk to me all the time. You don't know what you're talking about. And I said, well, he goes, what makes you think they're not talking to me? I said, well, do you remember we got on this call? And he goes, yeah. I go, you're the senior VP of this blah, 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 blah. You're a big shot. you got a lot of weight behind you. And if I really uh, was afraid of losing this contract, I might have had some problems with the way you, what you said to me when we were introduced. He goes, what do you mean? I go, Nice to meet you. And you said to me, well, you may not think that at the end of this call. Now, that could be intimidating if I was afraid to lose this contract. Well, that's I, what I don't need is you embarrassing me in front of my people. I said, well, what makes you think I'm going to do that? That's why we're having this conversation now. I would never do that. What I'd be working with your people on is taking responsibility for what they're not saying to you. And so that they could bring their ideas. And then I would work with you on this. I would... I'm going to honor you and your position. You're not, you know, you didn't get here for nothing. You guys are, you run, you run a great company, but good is the enemy of great, you know, Jim Collins, all that. And he goes, okay, well tell me more at the end of the call. We, we had a contract, but the willingness to move into the resistance, the willingness to explore it, the willingness to stand up and speak what you think, the willingness to lose what you think you're going to get, I think is where it starts. Like, I knew I had to like be okay with not getting this. I'm going to give it my best shot. I'm going to be as real as I can. I want to give my opinions without making them dogmatic, be open to what he has to say. And he was open to his, and we became great friends. We worked there for two and a half years and did a, you know, just had a great time with this company. And we took more market share, which is more important. We actually took more market share where they didn't think they could. Yeah. Right? And it came from conversations like this. And we brought that into the sales team and working with their clients, listening that way. Yeah. Well, yeah. And, and to tie it here, I think I'm guessing most people can hear it as well. What you were doing was this principle. You were exploring, illuminating, and you were like letting him know what you weren't going to do in the future because he had concerns yeah. about that and great concerns. Like, oh, if I bring this guy in, is he going to make me look like a fool? That's an important concern. Yeah. Or is this guy going to be an advocate, which is what you were saying? I would never yeah. do that. I wouldn't, I wouldn't there to embarrass you. I'm actually there to call the people instead of complaining about you into an honest dialogue with you. I had legitimate concerns. Yeah. Which I, I knew there was something there, but I, I but I didn't want to get hooked up in his aggression. Right. right. I was like, I just wanted to hear what he had to say. And when, and when he heard 
what I was up to. Then he asked authentic questions. So it's like being able to embrace the no, so I, which gave him confidence, I think, enough to say more, which enabled me to go deeper with him. I've had other situations where I get reactive and go the opposite direction and, you know, blow the thing out of the water. So I'm not saying I do this all the time. I'm just at my best. <laughs> yeah, we are, we are only doctors. We're also patients here. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I brought it up earlier as this conversation progresses and we play out what's possible with the current reality that we're living in. What else is possible? Now we now we get to get creative and start exploring what what is our ideal outcome? What are other outcomes that are possible? How yeah. else can we show up for each other? Yeah. And how does that, I mean, when you potentially have two people or three people or how, however many are, are involved in the conversation, you potentially have that many different desired outcomes, right? Possibly. Yeah. Um, and so how, how do we start to engage in this conversation of an ideal outcome around a conflict? First thing that comes to me, I'm thinking about a specific situation with a client. And this person I'm talking, I'm talking about uh, is a CEO and dealing with a very uh, specific side of the business. And he is operating with CEO type concerns. And there's conflict on the team. And, and it, what came up in our last conversation was how he doesn't know if those the, the folks that he's in conflict with actually share in those CEO type concerns. So for him, it's a stupid conversation. These people are being ridiculous. But what we don't know is if if they actually are seeing the same future he is, and they're probably not, because mm -hmm. every rung in the organization has a certain level of certain type of concerns immediately attached to it, naturally attached to it. And sometimes that's a job description. Most of the times it's it's a lot more than just a job description. But you know, the CEO type of concerns, there's there's like their outcomes that he's committed to based on where he, you know, the hierarchy of concerns, I guess you could say, is distinct based on how he's viewing the world and his position inside the company. So part of part of the answer to what your question is, is like exploring what are the desired, needed, expected outcomes for each person from where they're sitting and what they're committed to or what the company's calling, inviting, calling them um to produce. Yeah. And how are they incentivized to those as well? Because if you're moving the organization in a different direction and people are willing to go, but you're incentivizing them for the old direction, you can find yourself creating a dissonance in them because people will do what they get incentivized for. Right. So you got to make it worthwhile for them to move. That's there's so many little nuances in here that, that if you're if there isn't a good forensics in the conversation, the way we have the conversation, then we're probably going to miss the finer details that can move the ball down the field that can help people get aligned. Right. Mm -hmm. So and I, I think there's a there's often a thought that, well, if I say we're going in this direction, we're going, thinking people are following me, <laughs> not realizing that people are following me because they are going to be better served. They see how they can be served by following this objective. If I change the objective, then I've reconstituted their concerns as well. And they're going to want to check in. Well, wait a minute. How's this good for me? 
And then I've seen a lot of leaders, including myself, get edgy because people don't want to move in that direction and get blamey or, you know, start cutting people out, not want to hear conversations, creating resistance unnecessarily. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It, this also brings up the idea of conflicting intentions from, yeah. but you know, we, we talk about conflicting intentions a lot, consciously, subconsciously, you know, consciously we're, we want to go one way. We, we talk about being a team player. We talk about doing the good of the company and, you know, yes, yes, yes. On all these goals and these ambitions and the vision of the, of the work that we're doing. And then there's these conflicting or, or alternative intentions that we also have that we run personally when we think about ourselves, our ego, our families, our, you know, we have all of these other workings that often aren't considered in these conversations when we're talking about an ideal outcome for a group of people. And individuals may not even want to speak them because they'll feel like if they do, they'll be marginalized. But those concerns will remain with them. And in fact, if they are marginalized, they'll ex that resistance will cause those concerns to grow. And if the individual is not willing to talk about them, you know, I used to work for a guy named John Hanley to say people are going to be heard one way or another. If you can't hear their words, they're going to they're going to tell you through their actions, mm -hmm. right? So you know, and that's one thing to look for. If people say one thing and do another, there's probably some conversations that need to occur in there that are dissonant and probably not they feel like they're going to be ostracized or marginalized because they're not in lockstep with what is the corporate conversation. And if the corporate conversation is gated, it, like, there's no room to invest and that creates its own problem. Mm -hmm. When you talk about marginalized for expressing concern, what, what do you mean by that? Like, what does that usually look like? They express a concern that looks like uh, some friction to the goal or something like that. And then they are. Is that all you do think about yourself? Is that all you do think about yourself? There's something bigger here than you, you know. There's other people here as well. You know, and, you know, we've talked about that. Didn't you hear? Why didn't you say something then? Mm. Yeah. We shouldn't have to talk so about it. might be. Now. Right. Or I'm, I'm thinking of something specific, specifically, I know that some clients, some companies are going through now is like cuts, for example, um, like people's salaries are being cut down. Um, some people are being furloughed and such. And there are the, there are out like financial concerns, which usually drive these conversations. And then there are, you know, cultural concerns, which is who, who do we cut? And then how do we cut them? How do we talk about it? And, uh, you know, because somebody, some a CEO might come in and say, hey, we got to make these cuts. And somebody might say, hold on. This is how it's going to affect this team. This is how it's going to affect our productivity. This is how it's going to affect that. And they they might hear that as, do you not care about the future of the company? Don't you understand? We're going through a hard time right now. Yeah. we got to make these how, cuts. Are you a team player? Is the cure worse than what we're trying to resolve? Right? Yeah. Like, you know, for instance, you know, if, if the cuts save you a million dollars in, for instance, in revenue or in, you know, dollars, but sets you back because you lose the talent. And when this is over, you need to ramp back up. How much is it going to cost to ramp back up? And are you going to get the kind of talent that you had before? And is it going to be a, are, will they be able to, how long will it take for them to when they ramp up to really get to where you need to be, right? 
how much will that cost? That conversation may never even get weighed out. And it may be 10 times, it might be an order of magnitude greater than what you save immediately, right? How often do you even have those conversations? Yep. Yeah. If people are marginalized or attacked or, you know, made wrong or whatever, just for thinking differently, then they're not, they're going to know better, even if they have a thought, than to say something because they don't want to. They, they're in survival too. They're wondering how they're going to make it. Yeah. Right. So yeah. It becomes quite a dilemma. Yeah. Yeah. And Adrian, running with that example that you were just talking about, and Dan adding in this idea of what costs more, um, if as a leader, we look at those people that are expressing those concerns as not being team players and we dismiss the concern from their perspective, sure. right? They get they get to see a perspective. They get to see an angle of our company and our organization that we don't get to as the leader. If we dismiss that, what's the cost of dismissing that and finding out that it's true later or that there's valid, that, that it's a valid point? And now our production is low, too low to keep up with demand, or you know, morale is. And the ramp up is going to cost us a lot more, right? That's right. And, and that goes back to, if you think about AI, there's these trees of thought. They're like branches, right? And and when you get a problem, there's certain branches of ways to think about the problem, and the tendency is to look at the branch you understand or that you've been down and think that that's the one to do with. And then if you look at the other ones, you go, you know what? That doesn't make sense to me. But we really don't. You never know. And this is what's beautiful about AI. It'll take those and go down those branches. You never know what you discover till you go down the branch. What doesn't make sense in the beginning could make sense later on. And you might discover something you didn't know that's relevant to what you want to do in the branch of thought you're in. And that broadens your perspective. So taking the time to understand the different avenues or different possibilities that come out of these ways of thinking can open up huge, you know, benefits, you know, going forward and bring some unity. Because if somebody does see that you're willing to vet their thinking, they're going to be much more willing and you're going to know better how to enroll them. Or if they've got a better way of thinking, go with them or integrate their thought, right? There's so there's three different branches, three different possibilities. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So each 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 problem, each obstacle will have a certain level, you know, different branches of thought, and it behooves us as leaders or as team players to consider those branches of thought without marginalizing them, without you know pushing them to the outside. Be, yeah. You know, it's like a hegemony. The current thought is like it, it's dominant, and so it doesn't want to be because you know in a crisis, what do you want? Security. So if I can land on something, I want to stay there versus keep looking. Yeah. yeah. In the process of coming to an ideal outcome, it's really valuable to start to understand or get a vision for what difference this resolving this will make. Yeah. Yeah. Right. When we when we resolve this, what difference is it going to make in our organization and for our individuals? That's right. And if we don't, what's it going to cost us? Right. Yeah. Both of those you got to vet those out good so that there's a good sense. You get a sense of what the asymmetry is, right? What's yeah, at stake? Right. Yeah. Yeah. We, we talk about it in our work. We talk about it, the parade of horribles, yeah. um, which is like to entertain. If nothing, if no new, no new choices, no new actions are taken, how bad is it going to get? <laughs> and, you know, and we do that with clients 
just to acquaint, you know, get themselves acquainted with what's what could be coming and probably what is coming if we don't take some kind of imperative action, some kind of new action, some kind of experiment, you know, and, and we call it the parade of horribles because you want to think about it in a way that like, don't, don't save yourself from the pain. Actually, it's, it's actually to rehearse the pain of the future that you don't want. So it motivates you in the moment to take uncomfortable action because it requires courage. To look at the possibilities you never considered. That's right. And inevitably, you go to the worst case scenario and do that. People are much more relaxed on the other end of it. Yes. They, first, they get really tense. They don't want to do it. I had an exec the other day thank me for it at the end of the call because he resisted me up in the front end. I go, no, it's just for fun, right? But as he looked at the different possibilities, it brought him some peace because he realized, oh, there's more that's possible than what I thought. Right? It broadened his view. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. So as we as we start to understand the difference that it's going to make, the ideal outcome, now let bringing it back to now, what are we, what's our committed action now? Yeah. What are we, what are we willing to now do? We now have a, a clear vision of what's possible. If we are willing to, to show up in a different way. Um, now, how do we get to the committed action? What, what are we all leaving this conversation with and, and, you know, doing to create the future that we want? Yeah. Well, that, I think that emerges organically if the conversation is thorough mm. that that begins the what because if you're really clear about what you want to have happen yeah can be, it, it organically starts to illuminate the different pieces of the conversation that could come together to have that happen the 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 where the trust comes in is staying in that conversation till those pieces start to emerge and, and existing in the conversation as openly as possible you know, searching that out, not keeping in view what we ultimately want to have happen. That that's a that's a, quite a discipline. Looking back from that future as you have the conversation. Yeah, what I what I hear you. The verse of uh, the the other side of the coin of what I hear you saying is that if you get to this point where you want to talk about committed action and there's still confusion about what the committed action should be or could be, it's possible that we haven't vetted we haven't mined the conflict enough at this point. We haven't, re we don't have a clear understanding of what our ideal outcome is. Yeah. There, there's more to pro probably, you might be able to get some of it, right. And you might be iterative. You might. Yeah. Oh yeah. Clear, right. It could be iterative. It could be something that's unknown and that, you know, this is the direction you want to go. You see it and you get the next step. You might not know what the step after that is, but then you, you, you shorten the communication loop. You do the iteration and come back again and have a conversation. what did we learn? Yeah. Then what would we learn might will add to what's next. But most people want to just because, you know, that's a little nerve wracking. Right. Because I remember I working with one company as a sales company. If we weren't hitting it, we would shorten the loop. So, OK, we did this. Would we learn? We did this. Would we learn? And we'd come back every hour if that took after we make some calls or did, you know, did what we did and then come back and say, here's what I learned. Here's what I learned. And, and in light of what we wanted to accomplish, right? So, yeah. and that's kind of, that's nerve, nerve wracking, but it's exciting. Right. And I think I'm thinking, uh, my thoughts went to my experience in interpersonal conflict, not, 
not that this is separate from interpersonal conflict, mm-hmm. but but when I think of like one to one, maybe with my wife or one of my kids or a friend or something like that, and we're 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 at this thing, and we're at to the point where we want to uh, create committed action going forward for the future that we want. I know for myself, if I haven't said everything that I want to say, mm-hmm. I'm very hesitant and resistant resistant to this next step of committed action. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I, I, I don't see possibility and future in the way I'm showing up yet, or at least a future that I want. Yes, that I want to give myself to, right? Yeah. yeah. That makes sense. That's good. I'm still waiting to be understood before I move. I'm, I'll move forward as soon as I know you agree with me on the previous point. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Uh, where are you? Just where are you on the previous point? Right. Like that'd be nice to know. <laughs> you know. Okay, that's good. That's good, Adrian. Let's go. Wait a, Wait a minute. Yeah. And when you when you see that resistance, I always tell my clients and try to tell myself, like, when you see that resistance, you feel it. You see it. What our natural, my natural re- reaction is to just keep moving. Right. We've got some momentum now. Let's just keep moving and stream right past that. But that's an opportunity to have a conversation about the conversation. Yeah. Now it's, it's, it's a dig. Like it's a, it's a dig's not the right word. That sounds negative, but it's a, it's an opportunity to say, Hey, I see, or I feel that you might be resistant to moving on to to talking about uh, our, our action. Now, can I ask about, can I ask what that's about? What, what is the resistance or are you with us or how can we, how can we get you, or not get you, but you know what I mean? How, how can we understand where you're at with this? What's wanted and needed for you to get on board. Yeah. Thank you. What's wanted and needed. Yeah. Yeah. So what, uh, as now we often, and I say it a lot in this conversation, but we often think that we can just talk about these things once, right? We, we have a conflict, we get some resolution, we get some action and then we don't want to talk about it again. We don't want to waste time talking about. We already talked about this. <laughs> What's the process? What I mean? What are we? The saying is, I say you talk about it as many times as you have to because if the conversation keeps coming up, it's not done being had. Probably, probably. Mm-hmm. Now, when you have the conversation is distinct. You know, it may not be the appropriate time to have the conversation, let's table it, go back to it or whatever, come back to it, create a time for it. Timing is a big issue, right? So that's, that has to do with context. But, but I think a lot of execs, you know, I know I've been in this multi, uh, that's enough. We've talked about it, but as context changes, then how we talk about it must shift as well. Yeah. Right. So. Yeah, that's right. And I think, you know, like you said earlier, Dan, this isn't, if we look at these as iterative processes, just like everything else in our business is, um, it's, it's a process of, of learning uh, as long as we're open, right. As long as this, this running a tech tech company will cure you of having to know the outcome immediately. Right. If you're running a tech company and you're trying to do something, no one's ever done. You've got engineers and you got business and they're both never, it seems sometimes never the twain shall meet, but 
it it is a there's a kind of a a dynamic that occurs, and that is you want the engineers to be able to tell you when the the thing's going to be ready. But if it's never been invented before, if it's something brand new, it's pretty hard to do that <laughs> because when they get out there in the territory, they're going to discover. That's why the iterations you got to do it iteratively, and you got to be ready to go. You know what? Whatever budget we come up with is probably not going to be enough, and there are times probably not going to be enough. Yeah, and and, and because it's going to require, and then you've got to be able to understand what the other side's talking about, both sides, right? There's a there's, and the tendency is to want to jump to conclusions. The the engineers are going to jump to the conclusion because they're the creative side that you're just trying to commoditize them, and you do really don't want the best possible outcome. You're going to end up with something that's not even, you know, viable. The business side is saying, well, you guys are lying to us. You know, you're not telling us the truth. You're sloughing off or whatever. I can't count on you, right? You're only delivering 70% or 30% or, or 50% or 60%. But that could be very good depending on what they're trying to do. And then what we get is not the end product. We get something like it. And then that has to be reinvented. But on the business side, we like to think that everything's going to get produced all at once. But, you know, remember when Jobs produced this thing, right, the, the iPhone? The first time he did it, when he showed it on stage, he had to have seven of them up there because it kept freezing up on him. <laughs> right? Because it wasn't anywhere near what we have now. But he knew what he had, and he knew that they need to keep iterating. And by the time they iterated another two or three times, it'd be ready for market. Now think mm. about how what kind of gonads that takes. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. But he understood the process, right? He understood that this version isn't the ones going to market. It's good enough that they he knows he improved quickly. Yeah. That's some Take crazy stuff. Yeah, that's great. Well, this feels like a, this feels like a pretty natural breaking point. Um, this I, has been. Add, I would just add one yeah. one thought because I don't I I don't know how common the thought is, and it might be helpful to somebody. Is that I mean, if you take that analogy with Jobs and the iPhone, and you needed seven of them to display the one to find a way for one of them to work. I'm just thinking about as leaders how we think about our people. Because at least I know this about myself, and I sometimes say the joke is like, there's like 12 Adrians. I don't know. When I wake up in the morning, I don't know which one I'm going to get. You know, like sometimes I'm kick-ass guy. Sometimes I'm, you know, sad. Sometimes I'm tired. Sometimes I'm excited. Sometimes I'm, you know, victim-y. Sometimes I'm overwhelmed. I don't know which one I'm waking up with, but I'm going to wake up as one of them. And I got to maneuver into what I want from there. And I'm thinking about this as you meet, as you're in a time of change or in a time of conflict and a time of chaos and a time to organize and reconstitute, you know, the team or reconstitute the relationship between you and somebody else. You don't know which version of the iPhone. You don't know which version of the person you're going to get. And it'd be helpful probably to realize, hey, I'm just getting a version of this person. And if I hang out long enough, I can probably connect with them in a way that something new can happen. Yeah, yeah, because I mean, to that, he was using each iPhone to f display one feature. It would freeze to another one, right? So, you know, one way of being may not be the feature people are looking for. So then right. you, 
you know, be open to that. There might be another feature coming. There might be another version coming. Yeah. 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 And we just as we were recording, we got a comment, and I think it's it's pretty applicable to what you're talking about. Every time I meet with the senior management people, I tell them, let's take a risk and be honest with each other today and talk truthfully. This is a commitment that makes the time spent talking about anything worth something, because if if part or all said is BS is is all wasted time. And I, I would just say, Jonathan, uh, maybe it's not a waste of time. Maybe it's an opportunity to listen and be open to where they're at the moment. What iteration are you getting at the moment and how are they using that to get what they want? It can tell you a lot about where they're at, how they interact with their people, all of those. How do you, how, where the intervention might be appropriately applied. Yeah, some deep listening. Sometimes, you, you know, I, I know I'll react too quickly and I just got to sit with it. Yeah. And listen to what they're really saying and really, you know, vet what they're saying to see if what I think they're saying is actually what they're saying. Right. But he's right. I, in some ways, I get the principle is, sure, you don't know, though, if it's BS to you vet it. You really got to vet it. And then you don't know that they're they may be sincerely. It could be BS that they're sincerely believe in. And if and the good vetting will help bring that about the, the problem with framing it as BS immediately is then I go about trying to gather evidence from that rather than I wonder what they're thinking here yeah. and then vet it, right? They start asking questions that help you understand. And one way to do that is notice what labels they're using and ask them to describe them to you. You might be using common language with different understandings, yeah. right? So understand what's going on. Like when somebody says, well, that won't work because it's, it's a, it's a blocker. Oh, oh, really? Tell me, how's it a blocker, right? The, like, what do you mean? Where is it blocking? What does it look like? So you can chunk it down so you get a better sense of what they're seeing, which will better inform your ability to, to communicate what you've got. Yeah. And I, my, my first thought with that is, you know, what what helps me is when I stop and re, uh, I guess, re-aim the conversation. So if I think I'm in a BS conversation, it's probably because we're all in different ones. We It seems to us like we're all in the same conversation, but we're all in multiple conversations at the same time. So, you know, they might seem like they don't want to talk about this. Well, they're just not, they're talking about something else. So to stop and say, hold on, we got 10 minutes left in this meeting. What's, what's the best way to use these 10 minutes? Where do you want to get at the end of this? What's the point of this conversation? Because it might sound like BS because you're in multiple different conversations. So like re-aiming the conversation, especially if you're the leader, and if you're not the leader, you can ask what the aim is. If you're not the one that gets to claim the aim, um, and if then you. Yeah. When can we talk? Can we take it offline? Right. Yeah, that's yep. another. Option. Just don't give up on it because you got something. That's and right. You might as well figure it out, and maybe you have to find out what the appropriate venue and time is to do that if it's not working at that moment. And that's right. Or hey, can there's a, there's a concern I have, and we don't seem to get to it. When's a good time to talk about it? Can we talk about the next meeting or, you know? And before you do, and then if they say, sure, before you go into that meeting, you might want to really prepare. And we have, we, you know, through this three series, we've gone through how to prepare basically the different steps. But we can always put that up there, condensed so people can look at it and prepare themselves before they go into the meeting so they can talk intelligently mm -hmm. and generate, you know, a conversation where you're, you know, they're vetting what they don't understand. Yeah. Yep. 
the thought that I want to leave this series with, and this has just been so valuable and so fun to be able to go this much detail uh, through this process is I just want to encourage the, the idea. The idea for me is that conflict is natural. Conflict is the natural path for me to build a relationship that's worthwhile for me. Um, because I know when I get committed to something with somebody else and we get through something hard, we resolve something difficult. I'm so much more connected to them. I'm so much more committed to them. And I'm willing to see who they are at the time, at the moment, because I get their commitment to me and the, and the, the vision that we've created together. And so we often, I think so many of us go through life, we walk through life looking to see how we can avoid conflict. Mm-hmm. When really that is the key to building the relationships that I think we want, we we long for. Yeah. yeah. Jack Welch said, I evaluate my day by the number of difficult conversations I successfully navigated. Yeah. Pretty interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this has been amazing. Thanks, gentlemen. Awesome. Thanks, Thank Jack. You, Jack. Appreciate Thank you. it. Yep. Bye-bye, everybody. See ya. Ciao. Well, friends of the podcast, thank you so much for joining us this week. If this podcast has helped you or entertained you at all, we encourage you to go to iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Leave us a five-star rating and a glowing review. That'll help us reach more people and grow this community. Also, the greatest compliment that you can give us is sharing this podcast with the people in your life that are looking for a new way to lead and to relate to others. And finally, if you have any suggestions or feedback for the podcast, we would love to hear from you. You can email me at chad at takenewground.com. Thank you so much for joining us and we'll meet you back here next week for another episode of the Naked Leadership Podcast.